Hi, and welcome to episode 54 of Five Minutes of Rum, Notes on Rum, a few minutes at a time. My name is Kevin Upthegrove. It seems like it's been quite a while since the last episode, but I'm happy to be back with rum and cocktail notes. And if you're living in the future and going back and listening to episodes one after another, then the gap is of absolutely no consequence. So, Okale Maluna. Today's episode features Cruzon Single Barrel Rum, Cronon Swedish Punch, and two cocktails, the Rusty Harpoon and the Golden Shellback. Now, is customary with this show, I want to start with the featured rum, that's the Cruzon Single Barrel. The Cruzon Single Barrel, this is a specialty bottling of a Cruzon rum. Uh, they refer to it as the part of the distiller's collection. I've talked about Cruzon on the show before. Um, in episode 14, did Cruzon Gold or Cruzon, they call it Dark. Um, and then episode 42 with their Blackstrap rum. Cruzon produces rum in the U.S. Virgin Islands, and they make what I would um, they make what I use as my sort of default white Puerto Rican and gold Puerto Rican rums to use the parlance that Beach Bumberry uses in his grog logs and other books. Um, they're my sort of default uh, stand-ins for those because they're very comparable to those white Puerto Rican and gold Puerto Rican rums, despite the fact that they are from the Virgin Islands. Uh, they are both Spanish-style rums, which is why they're comparable. Um, they're usually, or maybe always, column distilled so that they're crisp and lighter bodied. That's the style of rum we're talking about here. Uh, the black strap is definitely an exception, uh, but in general, the Cruzon style would be Spanish style rum, uh, equivalent to Puerto Rican and column distilled lighter bodied uh, rum. So with that as the backdrop, uh, let's go ahead and taste the single barrel rum. Now I have a glass right here, although I've tasted it before I started recording. Um, in terms of appearance, and there's a picture of the bottle, of course, in the show notes and on the website, uh, this is a squat 750 milliliter bottle. Uh, it's got a wide neck and a synthetic cork and a wood stopper. Uh, something to keep in mind, synthetic corks, uh, synthetic corks don't usually break or dry out, uh, so don't look down upon them. Uh, in terms of the contents of the bottle themselves, uh, of the bottle itself, it's a nice light brown. Uh, it's like a lighter shade grade A maple syrup almost. Uh, and then when swirled in the glass, it creates a, a nice thin line and then nice slow legs that drip down the side of the vessel. In terms of aroma, uh, aroma excuse me, uh, definitely pick up some oaky notes. Uh, with a little bit of uh, leather and some, you know, sort of residual sweetness or sugar notes. Uh, a very mild astringency, but it is there. Uh, it's kind of subtle. Um, and also, you know, I'm on the, the backside of a mild cold, so there might be some other notes that I'm not picking up. But that's generally what this rum is going to give you when you open up the bottle. Now, in terms of taste, uh, the rum itself is a good bear. It's a good balance of both barrel and sweetness with a nice mild heat on the tongue. That moves on uh, down to the throat on the swallow. Uh, it eventually dries your mouth out a little bit on the swallow, and there's a mild spice note there as well. Um, I can't pick out any one particular spice, but that's uh, an element that's present in the rum. Um, there's actually more body than I would have expected from a traditional Spanish-style rum, uh, but that's probably by design of the person that's producing it, given that this is a, a barrel-aged, and specifically they mention barrel in the rum. So they're probably going for something that's a little more aged and has a little bit more body to it than a traditional, you know, sort of Spanish or Cuban or, uh, if you will, Puerto Rican style rum. Uh, finish, it's very pleasant. Um, no real burn to speak of, but you do get uh, some of the warmth from the alcohol lingering in your throat. Uh, it's kind of like the sort of friend that hangs around just a little bit, but you don't mind that he's still there. Uh, and then, you know, to sum up, uh, maybe sip a little bit, you know, maybe take this in the glass, sip it neat like a gentleman. Um, I think this is a very approachable sipping rum, and 
I would expect that it's a very good entry point for those who want to start delving into a sipping rum without getting too esoteric at first, because rum kind of diverges into these wild, you know, left turns and right turns almost. But if you have somebody who wants to get in and say, all right, I want to try like a, what's a good rum that I can sip. Maybe it's very, you know, like I said before, approachable. This would probably be a good place to start. Um, it almost reminds me of a good Barbados sipping rum, but with a little bit more sugar and a little bit less crisp. I would find the Barbados rums that are sipping rums to be a little bit more crisp and a little bit less sweet. Um, this is not what I would consider like a blockbuster rum, like, oh my God, I got to go out and get, you know, nine bottles of this and put eight of them in my cellar. But I do enjoy it. And I think it's very interesting as an exercise in comparing to quote unquote normal Cruzon gold rum. Um, I didn't try it with an ice cube because I don't feel it was needed in this case, but if you're so inclined, try it out that way. Uh, your mileage may vary, but I think with an 80 proof rum, it's probably not, you know, it's not probably not needed. Um, and also don't limit yourself with this rum. I would say if you pick it up, think outside the bottle, look for simple recipes that, you know, that'll allow the rum to shine and maybe, you know, blend with other flavors. Uh, although it does work well neat, I think this is also something that's a good candidate as a mixing rum. It's not, not out of the realm of possibilities. Now, um, in looking up information about this rum, unfortunately, Cruzon's official site is a little bit light, or to put it another way, devoid of any production details on the rum. But luckily, there's Ministry of Rum and other sites to the rescue once again. Uh, this is a blend of aged rums, which in turn is then aged again as a blend in newly charred barrels uh, for six to nine months. So this last aging in a new barrel is responsible for imparting a lot of the flavor to the rum, which is why it's so different from a standard Cruzon Gold. Uh, this doesn't necessarily mean it's good. This is just an explanation for the notable difference. Uh, although I happen to think it's good, I don't want, you know, that extra aging in a new barrel doesn't equal good. I'm just trying to give you a little bit of background of what the rum is uh, trying to accomplish, so to speak. Um, now, the total aging per Cruzon is up to 12 years. They say 5 to 12, but close to 6 overall, as uh, they figure the 12-year rums, as you start getting up to, you know, 10, 11, 12 years, very woody from the barrel, and in fact, the barrel is almost empty at that point because of the 12-year point in aging, so they don't really have a lot of left, a lot of the rum left in the barrel. At that point, they're really, what they say, using that 12-year rum as flavoring for the rest of the blend. Um, what they're trying to do with this particular blend of rum is they're shooting for a something that's more like a cognac-like experience with the rum. They want depth and balance. They want something that somebody's going to be able to pour into a sniffer and enjoy uh, slowly, so that's, that's what they're shooting for with this rum. Now, in doing a little bit more research, I found the uh, uh, a link to, uh, or not a link to, but an article on the site Whiskey Information, and there's a link to that in the show notes. Um, and they published an article in August of 2015 on this rum uh, that reminded me that although rums that are produced in the U.S. Virgin Islands and St. Croix, for instance, in this case, um, they're produced there, but that doesn't mean the molasses or the sugar is from there. So uh, a good reminder, in this case, the molasses base, which is used for the, all the rums that are made for uh, this particular blend. They're brought to the island and they're out from local cane. Uh, the distilling itself is from a five-column still process. And their article actually contradicted the notion on the Ministry of Rum site that said that the final aging was in a new barrel. They indicated that was the blend would, would be taken and then put into another used barrel. So I've thought to myself, this is where it would be really swell if manufacturers of rum would put facts on their website for easy validation so you wouldn't have to go hunt this information down. Um, but going back to the Ministry of Rum page, I see that there's a little audio clip there. So this, this is another clue about what might be the, uh, the, I don't know, the origin of this rum, so to speak. Um, and so on this, in this audio clip, uh, the verdict of whether this is a new or used oak barrel is revealed by, uh, Gary Nethrop. 
I hope I'm producing that correctly. I put an extra P on there, so hopefully my pop filter caught that. But uh, his signature is the one that's on the neck of the Cruzon single barrel barrel. He is the master distiller of Cruzon. Um, And so in in the short two-minute audio article, or audio, uh, I guess, recording, which you can find, again, link to that in the show notes, uh, he indicates that a never-used charred oak barrel is used. So that would be the last six to nine months that this blend of rum spends in a barrel is actually in a new barrel that's charred but hasn't been used for other spirits before. So it seems like this is sort of exactly the sort of thing that Cruzon would want to put on their official website. But I'm not a brand manager, so who am I to say what they should or shouldn't put on their website? So again, it's the it's this last aging that that has the heavy hand. It's the one that imparts the flavor from the unused barrel um, and its new char and then really imparts that on the rum. One other note from the audio clip that was on the website is the barrel is sampled. So in other words, the content of the barrel is sampled until the desired flavor is reached. And then the contents are rested in a stainless steel vat until the bottling process is ready. Uh, because for instance, you want to accumulate multiple barrels of this same sort of rum. You're With a blend, you're always trying to achieve a consistent product and you need to get enough of those barrels and enough of that blend that you can make an effective bottling process, right? You're not going to just bottle one barrel's worth of rum. So in order to sort of cue that up, if you will, for the bottling process, once they've reached what they want with the with the rum, they will put that in stainless steel vats, and then stainless steel vats will essentially hold the rum. There's not going to be any more alteration from a barrel. Like if you left in the barrel, you would get evaporation, and you would also get more flavor. So by holding it in a stainless steel vat, then you get to kind of just put it in a holding pattern until you're ready to do the bottling. Um, and they also note that the barrel proof is 140 proof um, when it's in the barrel. Now, as far as the specs and where to find it, this ends up being bottled at a 40% alcohol by volume or an 80 proof rum. Uh, I personally usually find this rum in my local BevMo, and I think uh, Total Wine also carries it, which is another local chain in the Southern California area. Um, if uh, You might want to check other stores that are local to you. Uh, retails for about $29 for a bottle, which isn't too bad for a rum that's, again, pretty approachable. Um, and Cruzon has pretty good U.S. distribution. So in the U.S., you'll probably be able to find it if you look, you know, even halfway hard enough to find it. Outside of the U.S., I don't know what their distribution model is. So, um, you know, try online retailers if it's not available in your local area. And maybe they'll be able to have it shipped to you. Now, let's talk about an ingredient, uh, a liqueur called Swedish Punch, and specifically the Cronon brand Swedish Punch. Um, First of all, it probably makes sense to start with what is Swedish Punch. Uh, Punch is a traditional Scandinavian liqueur that's made from Arak. Now, remember, Arak is a cousin of rum. It's a distillate that's often made from red rice, although it can be made from other other sources. Um, And definitely, as I've said before, that's something for another show, which we will get to. and again, so that liqueur is made from a rock um, with some elements of rum and then sugar and water. The name is spelled slightly different from the English word punch. So in Swedish punch, it's P-U-N-S-C-H. Um, and obviously the English word is P-U-N-C-H. But its origin is the same. It's it's essentially a representation of the Sanskrit word for five. And that five represents the five elements of punch. So um, the you know, even though you spelled it with an extra S, it's pretty much the same thing. Now, until the mid-1880s, Swedish punch was primarily served warm, and then once it started to be bottled commercially, then it began to be served chilled, and that became a little bit more common. Um, It's actually a popular ingredient in pre-Prohibition U.S. cocktails. It never really made, however, a reappearance after uh, Prohibition was lifted, 
um, until it was reintroduced to the market in 2012. Now, who was responsible for reintroducing the uh, Swedish Punch into the mark into the U.S. market in 2012? Uh, that was our good friends at House Alpens, who are responsible for a great many things that we like, including Smith and Cross, Old Tom Gin, Batavia Rock, Saint Elizabeth uh, Allspice Dram, and Saint uh, Scar excuse me Scarlet Ibis Rum, among many other things. So, um, they, House Alpens is one of those. Um, distributors who has took it upon themselves to import a lot of things that were no longer available or ingredients that had kind of fallen by the wayside in terms of uh, pre-prohibition cocktails. So um, I'm a big fan of what they do, and I try to support them as much as I can, uh, primarily by buying more bottles of Smith & Cross uh, than I probably need to. Anyways, um, so Cronon, the brand that's uh, manufacturing the Swedish punch itself, they described their punch as created from cane spirits from the East and West Indies. So that would lend itself to the, hey, this is made from rum and sugar and water. Um, you'll have to shop online or a better local liquor store near you to find some, but it is a fun ingredient. So I would say give it a shot. It is something worth, it's something worth seeking out. Um, where did I read or hear about Swedish punch? So Aside from seeing the name here or there when I was reading old recipes um, of cocktails that were, again, pre-prohibition, I primarily heard about this um, in the Vintage Spirits and Forgotten Cocktails book. Um, and that makes sense given the spirits history in the U.S. because the book Vintage Spirits and Forgotten Cocktails was essentially about reintroducing cocktails that were pre-prohibition into uh, sort of a modern lexicon. So wanting to reintroduce those ingredients and those recipes that were once popular and have fallen out of favor. And again, I think I said this in the episode where I talked about this in uh, back in episode 43 when I talked about Jasper's Mix. It's very important to remember that when this book was written um, and when Ted Haig slash Dr. Cocktail wrote this book, uh, it was not as ubiquitous to find all kinds of bitters and all kinds of ingredients that you did. This was the early 2000s. And it was before things sort of took off again. So I want to, you know, make sure people keep that in perspective that this book was very ahead of its time in terms of where the cocktail movement is now compared to where it was in the early 2000s. Uh, so soapbox, just uh, get off the soapbox there. Um, now, one of the things that I read about, and there's a link to that book in the show notes, but one of the things I read in Ted Haig's book was there was an analogy um, that spoke to how you would think of Swedish punch. So the analogy was, in, you know, to put it in SAT, uh, terms would be rum is to Swedish punch as scotch is to drambuie, excuse me. So that means, you know, this is essentially, uh, if you think of drambuie as a scotch liqueur, then you could think of Swedish punch as a rum liqueur. And at that point I was like, oh, I really need to give this a throw. So thanks Dr. Cocktail for writing the book and for, you know, you know, laying the groundwork for bringing these back. Um, I'm sure it's not the last time I'm going to bring up that book or mention it on the show. Um, but before we get into the recipe, let's actually taste this punch first, because that'll help uh, lay the groundwork for what we're going to get to in terms of the uh, the rusty harpoon. So uh, appearance-wise, we'll, we'll take the uh, same approach we do with the rum. Let's look at appearance in direct, uh, excuse me, in indirect light. Uh, it imparts to me a reddish brown color. And then when I hold it up to the light, it becomes a deep amber color. So I think some of that might be a refraction from the black label, some of that like sort of reddish brown. Because once I pour it into a glass, it resembles an aged rum and that red tint is nowhere to be found. So I think that, again, is part of the labeling that's on the bottle. But um, it is an interesting note from bottle to glass. Uh, the bottle itself is a standard looking 750 milliliter bottle. It's got a synthetic cork and a plastic uh, cap. Um, and when it, speak about aroma, so inhaling that um, really immediately got um, flavors of or aromas, I, I would say, not flavors because I haven't tasted it yet, but 
uh, aromas of the Batavia Iraq and a hint of maybe Smith and Cross. Now, I'm probably imparting a little bit of, uh, you know, bias, a little, I don't know if it would be cognitive bias, but a little bit of bias from knowing where it comes from. You know, it's imported and distributed by the same company that does Smith and Cross and, and, uh, and Batavia Rock. So I'm probably imparting that, uh, psychologically a little bit, but, um, I do think that outside of that, there is like a night, you know, outside of whatever I might be imparting on, there's a nice sweet and spice note. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if there was, you know, cinnamon or clove as part of that mix. Uh, and probably if it's Scandinavian, there might actually be a little bit more of that um, aquavit sort of star anise or something like that to it. It doesn't strike me as as star anise, if you will, as a uh, aquavit, but it probably has those elements. I don't know if it might be caraway or something like that. Something that's a little bit more traditional in terms of a Scandinavian spice. Uh, taste it uh, immediately. You taste it when it, it's cool, um, likely from the sugar content. Remember, this is not a foolproof rum. This is a liqueur. So absolutely, you're getting the sugar component up on the forefront. Uh, there's something almost to me like a mole flavor to it. You know, if you think of uh, Mexican mole, um, and then due to the sugar, there's a certain sort of lip smacking element to sipping and eat from a glass. So you sip it, and then you kind of lick your lips, and you get a little bit of that residual sugar. Um, reading the bottle itself, they reference toffee, and that seems to fit maybe a little bit where I opted for a description of mole. Um, I would proclaim that a maybe a too sweet mole would equi- be equivalent to a toffee flavor, and then I'd probably call it a day and say I'm done. Uh, the finish, uh, lingering spice on the finish and no heat. Again, the alcohol content is too low really to, to impart a lot of heat on the finish. Um, and to sum up, the Swedish punch as a, as a sipper, probably not something I would normally pour neat and sip, um, you know, and, you know, quote unquote, by the fire or, you know, on the couch, not pour a snifter of it. Uh, but it's a really interesting liqueur to play with. And it's kind of a pity that it disappeared post post prohibition because it feels like the kind of thing that could be put to good use in tiki cocktails. I would ac- absolutely uh, look to build a punch recipe with this. Um, you know, no pun or obviousness intended. I think it would just fit really well there because it blends well with the rum and it lends spice. And that's kind of the thing that you're looking for in a punch. So I think it kind of just makes itself you know, obvious in that way. Um, and this is the kind of ingredient that really took a while for me, it took a while for me to get to and say, I want to work with this, but I think it's probably going to remain in rotation in my home bar because I think it's got a lot of flavors that would play well with some already existing flavors that I favor in my home bar. So I'm, I'd be anxious to try this with different citrus. I'd be anxious, anxious to try this with different rums and maybe a couple other, um, uh, you know, sweeteners. And anyways, I think this could be a potentially very versatile ingredient. And I, and it would have been interesting to see if people had continued to import it in like sort of the, the sort of the mid fifties when Don and Trader Vic were in their heyday. And then like Stephen Crane and other folks came in, it would have been interesting, interesting to see what they would have done with this sort of liqueur. So what can one do with the Swedish punch and this sort of liqueur? Um, the first recipe in this episode is something called the rusty harpoon. So as I uh, mentioned earlier when talking about the Swedish Punch and the Vintage Spirits cocktail book, the illusion was, or not the, the illusion, illusion, the, um, the, the, the relation was made between rum and Swedish Punch as it was to scotch and drambuie. So again, it seems sort of natural to try a rum version of a rusty nail. Um, and that's what I went ahead and did. Now, what's a rusty nail? So if you're not familiar, a rusty nail is... Uh, scotch and drambuie. Again, drambuie is a, a scotch-based liqueur. So this is doing nothing more than just saying, all right, well, if I have a rum-based liqueur, then let me mix that with the rum and see what happens. So the recipe for the Rusty Harpoon, and you're trying to stick to roughly a two to one or two, 
three-ish to one recipe, but this is where I landed. The Rusty Harpoon is two ounces of rum, uh, starting in this case with the Cruzon single barrel rum, and three-quarter ounce of the Cronan Swedish Punch. And then you're gonna combine that into a mixing glass and then add ice to it. You're gonna add the ice last and then stir that for about 30 seconds. So when it comes to mixing cocktails, the general rule of thumb is that if you're mixing just spirits, you will stir that in a mixing glass. And if you're incorporating spirits with something other than spirits, you will end up shaking that in a shaker tin. So seeing as how the uh, the uh, rum and, and the liqueur here in this case are spirits, we're gonna stir that. So stir that again for about 30 seconds or until it chills and then strain that over a large chunk of ice in a double old fashioned glass. You can see a picture of that in the show notes and then garnish that with a lemon twist or basically the you know bit of lemon rind that you peel off of a fresh lemon. Um, tasting this drink uh, when mixing it with the uh, Cruzon single barrel, I found this to be uh, to reuse my term from sipping it neat, very approachable and very drinkable. Uh, the rum was uh, courteous enough to play nicely with the spice of the punch, and so they sort of mixed together well. And then I thought, well, you know, this is a really, really simplistic application. I'll bet you you could use this with other rums and see which ones work and which ones don't. So I tried a couple of alternate rums. I would encourage you, if you're going to try this drink, to try a couple different rums from your collection and see how they mix in this uh, combination with Swedish Punch. Um, I tried a couple of things. I tried the Clamont Single Barrel Rum and the Scarlet Ibis Rum. Uh, when I tried the Clement Select Barrel, I think I said Select Barrel, I might have said Single Barrel, but it's the Clement Select Barrel. Um, I found that version to be overall more complex, uh, definitely with more pronounced barrel notes, uh, mostly wood, not so much vanilla, because that's the, uh, the the rum in that case is very assertive. The Clement Single Barrel, excuse me, Clement Select Barrel is very assertive and it sort of, um, sort of overrode the Swedish punch so much for uh, in the cocktail glass itself. So, and as it diluted, it changed, but I'm not actually sure that it improved. So, uh, that one sort of was a, a not a failed experiment, but not something I would pursue further. Further, the Scarlet Ibis uh, rum, and again, the Scarlet Ibis rum. Uh, if you recall, we talked about that in episode. Let's see, let's remember what that was. That was 41. Uh, link in the show notes for that. But the Scarlet Scarlet Ibis rum is sort of a, it's a 95 proof rum. So it's a little bit, it's not quite overproof, but it's a little bit higher than normal. Uh, gives it a little bit more assertiveness. And I felt like when I made this one, which is the one I'm holding in my hand right now, uh, it highlights the spice of the Swedish punch and gives it a fairly bold rum backing. So it allows the Swedish punch to still, you know, sort of assert itself and gives it a real stiff backbone. Um, I Maybe prefer the sort of the Cruzon version, but it's not where I would start if I was exper experimenting with this recipe and the Swedish punch. So my recommendation would be start with the select. Or, now I'm confusing all my barrels. The Cruzon single barrel. You want to start with that and Swedish punch, and then sort of work your way out through your own collection and see which ones work and which ones don't. Not all of them are going to work, but I think it's an interesting exercise to see just how much something can change from one rum to the next and see what notes you pull out from that spiced li rum liqueur that is the Cronon Swedish punch. Now, the second recipe in this episode also uses uh, the Cronon Swedish Punch, and that is a recipe called the Golden Shellback. This is uh, an original recipe from Jason Alexander, a.k.a. Tiki Commando on Instagram, and he runs Tacoma Cabana up in Washington. Um, he did an interview with Helena from A Mountain of Crushed Ice in March of 2015, link in the show notes. Um, and many of his recipes were featured in that article. Uh, this is one that I had earmarked for a time when I actually picked up a bottle of Swedish Punch, which I didn't have when I read the article originally. And uh, I'd subsequently seen many photos of this drink on Instagram from uh, 
uh, from Jason, but I hadn't bought the bottle of Swedish Punch, so I hadn't made it. So as soon as I bought that bottle, I knew this was the one that I, I wanted to actually make and, and give it a try. Um, of course, once I actually got that bottle of Swedish Punch, I actually also then had to commit to a bottle of Benedictine, which I hadn't purchased before either. So uh, Benedictine I actually didn't even know too much about, but I bought it and realized, or not realized, but did a little research on it and found it is a uh, herbal liqueur that was uh, developed in uh, early Fran- early 19th century France. Um, it is uh, claimed that the, uh, a ben- the Benedictine Abbey of Facomp in Normandy, the, the monks there had developed this herbal beverage. So it's one of those sort of things like uh, chartreuse or something else where it's an herbal liqueur that has uh, roots going way, way back. Um, and anyways, it's a, it's got those herbal elements that you might expect. Um, it's luckily available in a smaller bottle. I don't have too many recipes, at least at this point, that are going to call for it. But fortunately, I was able to find a 375 milliliter bottle. So um, that actually worked out pretty well. Anyways, there's a link if you want to learn more about Benedictine. Uh, there's a link to that in the show notes. Uh, again, this recipe is from Jason Alexander's. This is uh, I also featured a, a recipe of his in episode 42, his take on a jungle bird. So there's a link to that in the show notes. Check it out. And if you're in the Tacoma area, head on over to Tacoma Cabana and tell Jason that you're a listener to Five Minutes of Rum. It's not actually going to get you anything, but don't let that stop you from doing it. Uh, the golden shellback recipe is one and one half ounce of pineapple juice, three quarter ounce of fresh lemon juice, one half ounce of orgeat, one half ounce of Cronon Swedish Punch, and one half ounce of Benedictine, and then one and one half ounce of Lost Spirits Polynesian Rum. Now, for those of you that don't have Lost Spirits Polynesian Rum, considering that uh, I don't think they actually produce it anymore, uh, what would you substitute here? That's kind of a tough one. Uh, The closest match is something that I actually don't think exists because the Lost Spirits Polynesian Rum is a fairly unique rum. Uh, But you can probably try another high ester, heavy-bodied rum, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is Smith and Cross, but I think that the Lost Spirits Polynesian has more fruity elements than a Smith and Cross, so that might not work exactly the same way with these flavors. Uh, Frederick Yarm of uh, Cocktail Virgin he featured this recipe on a blog post of his in September of 2015, and he used a Denison White. So uh, following that thread, a quality white rum like maybe a Plantation Three Star that might let some of the other flavors in this cocktail come through, where Smith and Cross might kind of overpower it. Um, or you might just go wild and try this with a J. Ray and nephew, you know, how, how about a high, high ester, high proof, uh, Jamaican white rum, uh, will it work? I don't know. Try it and see. Um, so anyways, combine those ingredients in a shaker tin with ice and strain that into a tiki mug or another specialty vessel filled with crushed ice and then garnish that with an edible flower and or mint and a swizzle stick. Uh, there's a picture in the show notes. Uh, you'll see mine garnished with mint and a swizzle stick from Tacoma Cabana. And let me go ahead and have a sip of this drink here. Mm. Uh, definitely very layered. Uh, alternating parts of Swedish Punch and Benedictine. Uh, the Benedictine, even though it's an herbal liqueur, doesn't really overpower. But because of that Lost Spirits Polynesian rum being in there, and that's sort of a, a heavier-bodied, higher-proof rum. Again, that's a 66 ABV rum, so that's a pretty high proof rum. Uh, those things all work together pretty well, so that's a really good drink. Um, you know, I can't speak from experience, but I think that that's the you know that would probably be indicative of the quality of drink that you get from Tacoma Cabana. So uh, go out and check it out if you're in the in the area. Uh, that's the Golden Shellback recipe and pictures out on the show notes. 
That's it for episode 54. Thank you very much for listening. The show links are up on the 5 Minutes of Rum website. That's number 5 minutes of rum.com. The show is also on iTunes as 5 Minutes of Rum. On iTunes, you can subscribe, you can rate the show, and you can even leave a review. The show is also on Twitter as at 5 Minutes of Rum. That's at symbol number 5 Minutes of Rum. Please send in any comments, corrections, feedback, and or requests via the 5 Minutes of Rum website or on Twitter. And now, go get some rum. <laughs>